You're listening to an all-new episode of Off the Rails with Sloppy Yellow. Views and opinions expressed here reflect hardcore fan perspectives and sometimes might be factual. Be advised, this podcast may contain adult language. Well, Billy Bradley, we went out to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. It was hot as hell. Uh, basically, I guess we should say it was hot as Las Vegas typically is uh, towards the end <laughs> of summer. Uh, thank God we don't race there uh, July 20th, or that might be a, a much different situation. But what a heck of a, a Las Vegas Motor Speedway race that we had. Really, it had uh, crashes. It had miscues. It had weird timing. It had some people driving up through the driving up through the field, uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, I mean, I, what, what can we even say? It's just so many different things that, that happened. And I, and I got to say, Billy, um, I, I think if this race would have been a hell of a lot better if it had been run during the middle of the day um, instead yeah, of, I'm glad you know, when it got that. cooler. What's that? I said, I'm glad you said that because I thought the same damn thing. Why yeah. the hell they start? I mean, they, the what? I mean, of course, the start times are already predetermined, but they knew yeah. it was going to be hotter than hell out there at that time. And a 7 p.m. time for us on a Sunday night for us, yeah. that's got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's just hard to, to be tuned in for the final laps of the race. Well, here's the thing. Um, if you go to Las Vegas and schedule a race when it's that damn hot, you just have to suck it up and you got to go out there. Most of the people that are visiting that racetrack – understand it's going to be hot as hell and if you don't expect 100 degrees and don't i mean don't go to the race and don't schedule it um that race would have been a lot better but you know what um our good friend bob pockris is uh is on is on standby billy let's bring him in we got a ton of things to talk about with him uh let's give him a call you ready yeah let's call bob up all right, Billy Bradley, on the line right now, we have the Bob Pockris. Bob, let me ask you, every time somebody in the media says your name, I hear the, the, the pronunciation of your last name differently. I say Bob Pockris. Can you please uh, dispel all the myths and rumors right now? How does one pronounce your last name properly? I, I would say that you have it right, Pockris, like R-U-S-S. But uh, hey. you know, some, obviously, some people say Pockrass, yes. or uh, that some people like to throw a G in there, right? Say Pockrass. Yep. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know that's uh, that's okay. But um, I'm and and you know and some people um, so, so, some people uh, you know sometimes you know which, which syllable do you put the emphasis on? But uh, but you know my parents always grew up when we were saying, uh, saying Pockrass. Pockris. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that's. Uh, I've been saying it at least remotely close. Now, Bob, you uh, and I met many, many moons ago at Texas Motor Speedway. I uh, used to come out and visit and hang out there, and and that was pre um, PJ One. That was pre um, you know the the chase format, the playoffs that we have that now. Was, and this that sort was of thing. pre reconfiguration. That was pre my God, it was pre reconfiguration. Um and, and now we <laughs> come into fun. what it does and, and I think now, Bob, as as far as I'm concerned in uh, in in my lifetime, I'm not sure I have seen a better NASCAR from a totalitarian standpoint. I mean the on track performance is 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 as tight as I think it's ever been. Um, you've got a, a, a completely different engaging, um, you know, 
championship format, uh, it's not going to be decided until we get to Homestead. And in previous years, it was already decided for Pete's sake in some cases. But there's there's a lot of changes that have happened. There's more changes that are coming. But you've been covering this sport for a very long time. What do you think the state of NASCAR is right now from both a business perspective and a fan's perspective? Well, I mean, it's certainly evolving and changing, right? And uh, the, the hard part is, is that if you ask me where the auto industry is going to be in five years, I couldn't tell you. So mm-hmm. how should I know where the racing industry is going to be, right? You know, so so I think that that's what makes it really tough. Um, the what used to create emotion in, uh, for what what, cre- what creates emotion for uh, your local sports team? It's having. Um, knowing you know rooting for the hometown team or rooting for the hometown uh hero and nascar got away from that some some no fault of their own there isn't as many people who are as passionate about fords or about chevys or about you know toyota you say used to go to talladega and probably at texas too every chevy in the parking lot have calvin and hobbs pissing on a ford logo right you don't see yep. that anymore. So, so, so some of that inherent emotional tie is gone. And then along with that, the, more, the, the increased difficulty of the local driver to be able to have a pass mm-hmm. to the Xfinity and Cup Series has kept, I think, people from, from, from following. You know, it's more about, hey, race nationally in a late model you know, with enough money and, and, and make your way up without establishing your name at home. So, you know, so how's NASCAR going to create that emotion? I think they've they, they they have this playoff format. Some people don't like it. I'm I'm not totally sold on having one race, uh, winner take all type of thing. But it certainly creates mm-hmm. drama and it creates interest. And I think that some of the the newer drivers after had several retirements have started to kind of build their fan bases, and people are starting to follow maybe a little bit more, a little bit more closely. Um, you know, we can debate the, the aero package and everything. But I think, you know, when you look at NASCAR in the future, you're talking about a new car in 2021, where yeah. I think NASCAR hopes they could complain about the package and be able to All right, Bob, um, fascinating answer. I mean, we, we know there's talk about um, – you know, fossil fuels being reduced and all that kind of stuff and that sort of thing. And I, I'm not, I'm not married 100 percent to the, 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 the race all being or the championship all being, you know, at, at Homestead. But I can tell you this: um, in 1997, I spent about about 650 bucks, as I recall, to go to Atlanta Motor Speedway, which was the season finale. And all Jeff Gordon had to do was finish like 17th to win the damn championship. And I think he finished a lap down in 15th and won a championship. And I can tell you that that uh, sucked compared to what we're going to see this year at Homestead. Even though it may not be perfect, I think it's a hell of a lot better. Now, we have seen Kyle Busch. Your, your buddy Kyle Busch, you, um, uh, we, we, Billy and I last week predicted right here on this show that Kyle Busch was going to come out and lay an egg. He does every year, Bob Pockris, in my opinion, and <laughs> Billy's as well. He has not put together one solid uh, cup season uh, since, since he's been in cup. His championship comes on a shortened season. But is this and, – and we're going to Richmond. I mean, last year, Cowboys came out and, and won the Richmond race after kind of laying uh, an egg, maybe not quite as bad as, as he did last week. But Kyle Busch. Um, he's only there so he doesn't get fined, but is this the type of thing where he can turn this thing around and can he be in a championship four 
Or is Kyle Busch going to be a little cuss word? Uh, excuse me. Is Kyle Busch going to be a, be a little cuss word? And uh, not be able to get past this and get into the the Homestead Final Four, Bob Pockers. What do you predict for for Kyle Bush's playoffs here? Well, I, I'm not going to predict using the words that you did, but I'll predict that he will. Hey, Bob. Bob, we yeah. we lost we lost your answer. Uh, we heard everything oh. where you said um, I won't use your word, but I lost your All answer right. right there. You have me now. You have yes, me back. Yeah. Okay. I got um, we you won't. Uh, what will frustrate Kyle Busch at Richmond is the fact that you know he came here in the spring and had and struggled passing, and yeah. and if that happens again, because he can't use maybe his his greatest talents aren't as applicable to this package as they were the last one. So I think that's what he's got to, he's got to continue to overcome is his frustration over this, the the type of racing there is right now. And, and I don't see it as a, as a thing of, um, I mean, I think he can do it, but I think it certainly adds to the challenge. Uh, the thing is that he does have the playoff points he can fall back on if, as long as he, as long as he rattles off top fives, I think he's in, yeah. he's in, he goes to Homestead. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, that's very valid. I, I, I can't dis. I wish I could, but I can't disagree with anything that you said. But your point is, is that Kyle is Kyle Bush going to beat himself? And yeah. I will say that the only way he doesn't make the championship is if he beats himself, and okay. and you can't yeah. rule that out. Well, Billy and I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, we think. I mean, listen, Kyle Busch is a he's one of the greatest drivers ever to get behind the the wheel of a of a race car. But it seems like he steps on his picker enough that he he knocks himself out of uh, um, out of some victories. He knocks himself out of the play out of the championship hunt more often than he than he puts himself solidly in it. But we've got a bunch of people moving around. Bunch of people moving around this year. Um, you just interviewed. Uh, we're taping this on Thursday afternoon, folks. Bob just interviewed the uh, excuse me, the Xfinity drivers in the uh, in the Xfinity Championship hunt. Very interesting how Christopher Bell and both um, Reddick answered your question when you tried to lead them into telling telling you where they were going. Bob, nice try. I I appreciate that, but. Um, Daniel Hembrick, uh, we know Daniel Hembrick is not going to be with RCR. I, I, and, and I'm surprised that I, I'm a, a little bit surprised by that. I'm not surprised that he's, he's not going to be driving the, the cup car next year, uh, but I'm surprised that he's not sticking with them. Do you have any inclination, Bob, if you were to throw a dart, any idea where Daniel Hembrick lands next year? Um, I would say their front row motorsports or the Gibbs Xfinity car. I mean, to me, those mm-hmm. are probably his two best yeah. options. You know, does he want more cup experience or does he want to go to a place where he feel like feels like he can prove himself and win races and um, and uh, and 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 then continue and, and get back to the cup side? I, mm-hmm. I don't see a whole lot else out there. Um, yeah. You know, as as far as uh, as far as openings where. Where he where he would be the the prime candidate, Billy. What would you do if you were Daniel Hemery? Now we we we, we debated this, Bob, on uh, you know what the Benedetto should do. Billy, what do you think? What does Billy Bradley think uh, Daniel Hemery should do? 
Uh, it has the option to go to a Joe Gibbs Xfinity ride. I don't know how you don't take that. I mean, we saw week after week how that Xfinity car does. I mean, with cup drivers in it, I mean, that's pretty much a given. They're going to be a top five contenders. So, I mean, that's that's a solid ride that, you know, it's hard to pass up. Billy, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I did want to ask Bob about this. Bob, we saw Jeffrey Earnhardt get in a Gibbs car and actually looked like a damn, like he belonged on a track for the first time in his damn career. Um, Daniel Hembert, why in the hell, is Jeffrey Earnhardt done racing? What is what is he going to do mm-hmm. now that he's not, I mean, I don't even know what happened with IK9 and that sort of thing and all that, but what, does, do you have any idea of Jeffrey Earnhardt plans to get behind the wheel of a car again? I mean, he'd like to, uh, you know, he he needs sponsorship, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, I think he feels like he, he showed a little bit of, of what he can do. And then the question is, you know, can he land additional sponsorship to, to get more races? I'm sure, uh, if it gives people, uh, certainly couldn't be displeased with what he did. So, yeah. you know, if he does some sponsorship to the table, I, I could see him returning, but, uh, haven't really heard too much, uh, too much out of, his camp, I would say, in the last month. So, um, you know, I uh, think it kind of remains remains to be seen. See, Billy, if Bob Pockers hasn't heard much about the Jeffrey Earnhardt camp in the last month, that tells me that camp is on vacation. Um, I mean, this is the time where that shit should be coming up, and it's going to be a miracle if he does something for next year, I, I would assume. But let's talk about old Tyler Reddick. When I heard and saw with my own damn eyes Richard Childress call him, uh, compare him to Cale Yarborough, I was like, well, shit, this is a done deal. It's either going to be three cars over there or, or Hemrick is out. And, and listen, I, I, I was asleep on Tyler Reddick um, for a long time, and that changed about, about three-quarters of the way through last season when I saw that this guy actually does have some, some mental toughness and – um, he seems like he's got a plan, and for whatever reason, man, he he just he seems like he can make it happen. I, obviously, we all know that he's going to be driving that that Cup car over there. Bob, if you were to make a prediction today on how Tyler Reddick can compete with an RCR car in the Cup level, can he can he consistently be in the top fifteen, top fifteen, top twenty next year in a Cup level at RCR? Uh, I think he can be consistently in the top 15. I don't know whether he can consistently be in the top 10. Yeah. You know, uh, that, 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 that's what I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's going to be tough. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, would you expect him to do, you know, about what Ryan Newman was doing when, when Ryan Newman yeah. was there, especially in his yeah. first year? Um, the, the other thing you have to remember, Dado, is that, you know, if NASCAR goes to the new car in 2021, Mm-hmm. How much development do you do on the 2020 yeah. car during that season, right? So, exactly. so that that'll be the interesting thing next year is that, you know, yeah, how much money are certain teams going to pour in? Yeah. And if you feel like you're behind, you say, okay, we're going to work on the 2021 car, make sure we're ready for that. And, yeah. and I don't want to say treat 2020 as a throwaway season, but at some point you've got to make a make a determination when to stop development. Well, here's what I would say to that. Billy Bradley and I have been watching Austin Dillon um, get a lot better here in the last three or four weeks. And it seemed like Daniel Hembrick wasn't running too bad here. But, but Austin Dillon's thrown in, you know, a couple 12-place finishes here. 
Um, he's definitely been finishing in the top fifteen uh, as of late. I, I think I think coming out of the out of the box, um, Tyler Reddick can can run you know fifteen to twenty pretty easily. If he can stay between ten and fifteen, I will be wildly impressed because you talk about you know who's in the top fifteen right now. Some pretty damn good drivers, Billy Bradley. Billy, do you think Tyler Reddick's a a top fifteen driver next year or what? Yeah, I think for sure he can run top fifteen, top twenty, pretty on a consistent level. But like you said, you know the the competition from you know first all the way to sixteenth or seventeenth. You know, at even any given time, one of those drivers can pull off a victory. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that either. Let's move over to Stuart Haas Racing real quick, Bob Pockris. Bob, they finished or they started the race one, two, three, four. And then it kind of went to hell a little bit after that. Kevin Harvick um, salvaged a pretty decent day, you know, off of that thing. But Stuart Haas Racing has really got me confused this year. They started off fairly strong. Then Kevin Harvick stepped on his pecker three or four times uh, like he did, you know, like he's done every year. He should have had probably three three more victories. But um, I thought they were bringing it together. And I don't know what it is about Stuart Haas Racing that they just – aren't as good this year. And the only thing that changed was Kurt Busch is out and Daniel Suarez is in. Now we can't, I'm not suggesting that Kurt Busch leaving was a, that much of a blow to those guys, but Bob, is there, is there a reason that you can point your finger to? Is there something easy that I'm missing that why Stuart Haas racing is a little bit down this year? Well, I mean, I think the package changed and with mm-hmm. that came, I mean, I think you keep hearing uh, teams talk about this balance of, you know, how much do you trim yourself out? How much downforce do you try to either put in or take out, depending on whether you think you're going to be running up front or running in traffic? And, I mean, I think as you saw last week, the Gibbs cars and the Penske cars, you know, didn't qualify well, but but at least some of them raced well. And the Stuart Haas cars uh, qualified really well, but it seemed like only one Harvick was really racing all that well. So yeah. is that just Harvick um, carrying it on his back a little bit and, and just showing his talent? Um, possibly. I mean, you, I mean, you look at the guy like Eric Amarola, a decent driver, uh, you know, he, he has several top tens, but if you look at him, they're all six to 10th, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very few uh, top five. So yeah. uh, but what, what, what it tells me is that they – and what happened, you know, and a little bit this happened a little bit of Hendrick too, is that, you know, you built cars to start the year, you realize you kind of went down a little bit of the wrong path or not totally down the right path, and it, and you're trying to cycle through and, and build new cars, and by the time you have new cars, a team like Gibbs has already built on what they've had, and you're just fighting yourself from behind the the entire season, and I think that's still a little bit where Stuart Haas is at. Gotcha. Um do you crazy question? Um, and this is why I never prep anybody before I interview him, Bob, because I never know what the hell I'm going to say anyway. But <laughs> do you see uh, Stuart Haas racing going down to three cars? Or do you think I, I don't. Four I, car think, I, think, I think their Ford deal is, is uh, pretty much requires them to have four cars, um, okay. you know, for, for them to get the support and the uh, technology that they've. That, that they expect from Ford. I think Ford expects them to have four cars, and I would fully expect them to have four. All right, let's go over to Christopher Bell. We all know Christopher Bell is going to be, well, um, we believe Christopher. It hasn't been announced yet, Christopher Bell to the 95. Is that correct? 
it, it hasn't been announced, but uh, yeah. I, feel pretty, I, I feel pretty good that's going to happen. Yeah, I do too. Um, and, and, and Bob, I know you needed my, uh, I know you needed my approval on that, so you can be solid about that. But um, it's, it's pretty much given that he's going to the ninety-five. Uh, old Bob Levine. By the way, Billy, um, I tweeted something kind of. Um, I wouldn't say it was negative or positive uh, about Bob Levine today. I didn't even tag his ass in it, but he but he followed me. He liked my tweet and followed with me within like five minutes of me posting it. Okay, and I assumed that it was Bob Levine and not his handler or whatever. But Bob Levine, Bob, I, this guy really confuses the shit out of me because I can't tell if he's a dumbass or if he's brilliant or just a regular normal guy with a pile of money that wants to win races. I, expand a little bit on the 95, please, the ownership and the, and the organization. And how, I mean, do you think that those guys – I mean, he's a Texas guy. You should be the one who should be able to understand him, Dad. <laughs> hey, hey, take those words back. He is absolutely not – he is as atypical of, as a Texan as you can find, dude. Um, that's why he confuses me. I should know him, but I don't. Well, I mean, I think, you know, look, he's a guy who uh, involved in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's typical of a lot of owners, I think, who've come in the sport the last five or six years and get fr- gets frustrated over, you know, what works in other businesses doesn't necessarily work in racing, right? And yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's it that can be very, very frustrating. I, I think he, he looks at, you know, you know, that he's, you know, put in money in certain areas that he's he's done things that he felt like has established the foundation and isn't getting as much in the results department as as he would like and yeah. knows that you know he doesn't have the sponsorship to uh to uh, to to compensate for you know how much he's paying so he's you know mm-hmm. he is literally you know uh, you know, take take that gif of the guy who's just of burning money, and and he's done a, he's done enough of that to, to you know to to be frustrated. And I think it's yeah. um, I think it's a signal of you know everybody talks about well, or there's been a lot of talk lately of man should the four car teams now be five car teams or six car teams because yeah. those seem to be you know where the best opportunities are. But to me, it just shows that I think it should be more two car teams or three car limit because yeah. you. The difficulty of a of a team to be able to come in and compete is just so huge. So, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say, yeah, I think he's normal in the sense of that he's a business guy who's been successful and is, is gets frustrated by the you know inherent uh, state of of the Cup Garage that it, uh, it takes a lot of money to be good and it takes a lot of time to be good and yeah. uh, it's 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 not. A normal business plan is not going to get done. Yeah, and I got to tell you that Billy and I both laughed at at him early in the year when he started getting on the old Twitter machine and <laughs> and answering back to uh, the fans. But but to be honest with you, the more he talks, the more honest he comes across. And and it's just that he's a he you know he's struggling a little bit. He wants to tell his side of the story, and it's not really been told before because everybody gets weird. When, when we talk about money and how much so-and-so makes and how much they make and all these kind of stuff. And, um, and, and he's coming out here with a, with a completely different side that like Rick Hendricks certainly hasn't shared 
that kind of stuff before, and or or, right, or right. for Pete's and, sake. So it's you know his his difficulty is like he'll tweet something like, well, you know, this sponsor didn't even cover the cost of the race, and the perception yeah. is, oh, people are thinking that he's saying that they didn't co- cover the cost of tires. No, what yes. he's saying is that it didn't cover the cost of tires plus the engine lease plus renting the car plus paying yeah. the driver plus paying the yeah. crew. Plus housing per diem, and, and, and yes, and and all of that, you know, which, yeah. um, you know, I mean, look, uh, you know, as back in, in the last year, the farmers deal, Hendrick was getting, you know, over six hundred sixty grand a race, yeah, <laughs> you know, from from, from yeah. farmers for eight races. So yeah. you know, you look at that and you say, wow, here's this guy who's obviously not getting that per race from yeah. his sponsors. How's he going to compete? Yeah. No, it's you, you raise a good point that we're not gonna debate here today because it's it's an entire it's an entire series on, you know, whether the yeah. you know, four cars is is I mean, forever people were like, you know, they should have six cars, eight cars, other but now it's it's to the point to where you know, having two car shops may make sense moving in the future. But we talked about business here just a little bit. The actual main reason that I that I even asked you to come on was to talk about um, what used to be SMI, who is no <laughs> longer uh, trading on the New York Stock Exchange and that sort of thing. And and we had seen something that that has I mean, a first Bob Bacchus, we've got um, a track operator with multiple tracks um, you know, under their belt. Uh, go from being a publicly traded company to a privately held company, Bob Bacris. Um You've been covering it from day one. And if I'm not mistaken, are you not a shareholder or am I, am I mistaken? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. You're not a shareholder. Okay. Um, I thought for whatever reason, I thought you got to the shareholder just so you could get their their annual reports. Um, but uh, I guess, man, I'm Hell, maybe that was me. Maybe I'm a shareholder. And I don't even know. Uh, but Bob Parkers, what does what does SMI being being going away and, and being in private? What does that mean to the world of NASCAR, and why is it so damn important to us? Okay. Well, I mean, there's a few reasons. Um, I mean, first off, so a, a public company, you know, answers to shareholders, and they have to put out their financials every three months. So. So they have to. So some of their focus has to be, gosh, do we look long term or do we look short term? Because if they only look long term, and let's say they want to invest in something, or let's say they wanted to move a race, a race is worth yeah. about twelve to thirteen million in just TV money. If they were just to say, well, we're going to move a race, or we're we're going to give up a race, you know, um, if NASCAR decides to cut the schedule, that can do. That can that can just send that could send a stock price, uh, you know, yeah. into a huge downfall. So now they don't have to worry about that. They can make decisions and say, okay, you know, maybe for the good of sport, you know, we'll we'll do some, we'll do this, or we'll go do a Wednesday night race and not have to worry about whether it makes money or not. We can just try it, and we don't have to worry. Okay, if it does awful, that our stock price is going to drop. So it allows yeah. them to take more risk. It also mm-hmm. allows that it, you know, so NASCAR, if people don't know, is buying out ISC, and now that'll be one company. It'll be a private company, and so if if those two companies want to merge, or if they want to, it certainly makes that a, a lot easier. Uh, All right, Bob. Finally, I, hang on, Bob. I, I lost it just for a little second. So okay. NASCAR is buying ISC, and, mm-hmm. and and all right, now continue that thought there. NASCAR is buying right. ISC. NASCAR is buying ISC, so they'll make the that company private. So the the twelve tracks ISC owns. 
and the France family. France family will now own that along with owning NASCAR, the sanctioning body. And so if if NASCAR and SMI wanted to combine and had just have one company that owns the series and all the tracks, or virtually all the tracks, mm-hmm. that becomes easier. Or if NASCAR look, wants to have an, you know, combine and have some sort of investor come in, that makes that process easier. One yeah. other thing is that the publicly traded company has to release its financials. You learn a lot about what's going on. We learned a lot every year. You know, did, did, did SMI or ISC, did they have did their emissions revenue go up or down? You know, and we always mm-hmm. talk about, well, were there more fans there or were there not? Yeah. And this this was, you know, we had actual data rather than, you know, than just the yeah. eye test. And and so there's going to be a lot of things that we know about the sport, about how much the TV contract is and other things mm-hmm. that are going to be – there's going to be a lot fewer public records for us to be able to document and, and follow um, these things accurately. Some of your fans may remember, uh, I think it was Martinsville, had 80-something thousand seats until ISE bought it, and all of a sudden it was 60,000 because they actually yeah. had to be – they actually had to tell you <laughs> how yeah. many seats there were rather than just say any number that they wanted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was hilarious. They lost 20,000 seats in, the, uh, in, in, in an act of a pen. Uh, yeah. But, Bob, this is all extremely interesting to me because what I see – what I see um, happening, I mean, I, it just makes sense with what NASCAR has bought previously, racing electronics, you know, um, other racing series, that sort of thing. With all the personnel changes and all this stuff that has happened here in the last, say, 18 months and that sort of thing, that NASCAR is setting themselves up to be, uh, I mean, the NFL doesn't own the stadiums that the teams play in, but I have a feeling Some of the that's owners where NASCAR is headed. Yeah, yes, the the owners. Well, hang on a minute. Um, there's a lot of stadiums that the owners do not own. Right, um, the, but there's some that um, I guess maybe it's more arenas. Maybe in uh, yes, in, in baseball, maybe compared to football, maybe not. But yeah, um, yeah. So you you could definitely have uh, the sanctioning body also own all the tracks. Which you know, some people you know that there's there's good and bad in that. They can then yeah. you know NASCAR can set you know maybe you know b- better standards for for yeah. for what their tracks do, right? Yeah. They um yep. they they can make some things more more uniform. Um mm-hmm. and uh you know but you know you're just putting all your trust in um in the people with the bars on their shirt. <laughs> Bob, I'm gonna put it to you like this, bud. I feel like in ten years. Um, somebody's going to try to start a racing series like they try to do in the NFL or, you know, and some antitrust laws may be coming about, but they're setting themselves, NASCAR is setting themselves up to be in a very, very fantastic um, uh, position. To, I mean, it seems like everything is aligned that way. And let me ask you a question, Bob. Does all this happen with Brian France still at the helm of this thing? Was it, Or is this something that's happened maybe because he's not there? I mean, what is – do you have any I, thoughts about that? I mean, I think it does happen if he's there, although I will say this, that when – you know, and I, I I think this is just a product of what happened a year ago, but in NASCAR buying ISC, they also buy out Brian France and all the yes. ownership. There's, there's provisions in there for that. I think it yes. happens under Brian. I think the question is, is as far as when you're looking for investors – 
and you're mm-hmm. looking to to run things uh what what is the perception from the outside yeah. what is the perception of of those who might invest and i think um i think that's changed a little um with the with with Brian out and, and quite frankly i think the question you know when you when you say what's the impact of Brian not being there is mm-hmm. that okay you have Ben Kennedy you know he's still probably what late 20s it, yeah. when is he, he does the France family wait for him to be ready to run things or do they look for investor or do they look to sell because they don't have uh, they don't feel like they have anybody who can who can run the company the way they want it yeah that's going to be very interesting to play out obviously you know Ben Kennedy the, the few things that i know that he's done you know, for NASCAR here that, that's been on his plate, that he, he seems to have done pretty well with it. I'm not, you know, I don't know that we know, any of us really know what his true talent is because this is going to be a huge mega ship that um, this could be a big, big thing that, that nobody's ever seen before. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting on this. And we have a new series director in the cup this year. And, and I, there's been some, just like every year, Bob, there's been some, some issues with cautions and getting the race restarted and all this kind of stuff. If you had to grade this, this, the way that the races are being managed at the racetracks by the, by the series directors, the people who run the series, I mean, how would you grade them, you know, through, you know, 27 races or whatever we've gone through this year? What would you, how would you grade them compared to last year? What would you give them? Um, I would give them a B minus probably compared to an A minus. And I would say that that's not grading on a curve or, you know, the the hard part is you you had David Hoots who was, who was calling the races and David Hoots helped write the rules. So David Hoots kind of, you you didn't have to do that connection of, okay, what's the rule, how, how it should it be interpreted and what's the ruling? Because he already knew that he's the one who wrote it. (laughs) Now you have people who are officiating races who weren't necessarily involved in the writing of all the rules. (laughs) And so right. I think your mind just works just a little bit slower, yeah. and 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 it's just going to take time. I mean that's that's the way I look at it. I don't, you know, um, I, I I think they at some point you're going to have to have that transition. You know, yeah. I mean David Hoots is not going to be working forever. forever. David Hoots trained these guys to do this job, but yeah. I just think your mentality is is different um, yeah. when you when you're not the one who who wrote the rules because you see something yeah. you're like. Oh, is that and you, if you wrote it, you kind of know what you were thinking when you wrote it. Does that make sense? No, it does, and and I can p- completely see that. I, I I I agree with the way you've managed them. It's been a little bit less than it was last year, but I, but I'll tell you what what has stayed the same is the inconsistency has stayed the goddamn same, uh, Bob Parker. We had a penalty that should have been called on the 18 uh, last week, and I. I Bob, explain to me how I, – I thought we had a camera system for these pit stops. Is that true or not true? Yeah, so so you have a camera system, and what the mm-hmm. system does is that if it uh, – and, and this is a little bit different in the sense of this, there was one car on pit road when you saw it on the cobbler's thing. But during a series, of, let's say it's a yellow, and all these cars are on pit road, all the, all the pit stops are filmed. And once that the camera system picks up a potential violation, are automatically flagged. So there's mm-hmm. about eight officials who are sitting in a hauler, and they each get, you know, they 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 yeah. click on a pit stop to watch it. If it's been flagged, they they go to those first, and then they're supposed to go through the rest. 
and mm-hmm. and if there's a penalty, they call up to the tower and tell them. Now the tower then can ask for the video if the team is is upset about it or if it's questionable. Um, you know they they may let the tower know that, and the tower can take a quick look at it before making an official ruling. Um, I think on this one, I think uh, the camera probably didn't flag it, and yeah. uh, and the uh, and the official didn't see it or or saw it and didn't maybe I want to say forgot the rule, but you know the rule mm-hmm. says that you can't service the, the jackman can't yeah. or the fueler can't service the car. Well, yeah. you know it's grabbing something off a deck lid the same thing as putting a wrench in or pulling a wrench out you know yeah look yeah, bottom line is they missed the call i will say this is that you know you're allowed to throw a hammer a hand yeah. tool back to pit wall as long as it doesn't go over pit wall right and um it's not like they meant to throw it on the deck lid it, it kind of yeah. bounced off the top of the car and landed on the deck lid and the and the and the fueler picked it up i i think it was one of those that they just weren't they weren't looking for it and it yeah. just slipped through. And I mean, it, it's, and back to your earlier talk, you talked about how this playoff system creates excitement, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it also puts the onus on NASCAR to be perfect yeah. <laughs> and officiating because these, these penalties can mean so much. So yep. yeah, the, the thing is you, you don't expect officials to be perfect, but yeah. I think it certainly puts a spotlight on them when they do miss calls in, in this format. Well, my my I I'm a little conflicted on this rule because Bob, true or false, the fuel man can in fact um, catch a tire that may he, a fuel man can stop a tire. True or false? Yes, yeah, so the, the fuel man in the rule that says the fuel the fueler can redirect the tire with his legs. He can't use his hands. They yeah. can use his legs to to redirect a tire because they believe that 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 the safety of the the safety issue of a tire ro- tire potentially rolling away is worse than the safety issue of uh, fueler um, trying to uh, do two things with his hands at once. Well, see, I got to be honest with you, Bob. I, it, it does not make sense. It's idiotic <laughs> to me that it's okay that a fuel man who has a hundred pounds of fuel or whatever the hell's in that canister can can go up on one leg or do whatever to stop something while he's holding the damn can of fuel, but he can't reach across and grab a, a tool that's been on there. The only thing I don't like in this whole scenario is we've seen, you know, Brad Keselowski's guys, you know, get ready to change a tire and put move their 240 pound hip into the side of the car to get it. Little, <laughs> I don't like the fact that, you know, that something physically hit the car, um, nice. which I, I'm not sure it could give an advantage or anything or not, but I think the rule is kind of dumb as hell, but if it's a rule, they have to call it and they can't miss it in, in that situation. It's, <laughs> it, it, I mean, there's, there's 16 cars in the playoff. If you can't monitor 16 cars in the playoff, um, yeah, I think they need to get get that together a little bit. Well, you bring up a great point: is that should NASCAR have uh, have sixteen? Of, yeah, I think they have about eight or nine officials on pit road who yeah. kind of help monitor things between two or three stalls. The question is, during the playoffs, at least during the first round, should there be sixteen officials? Should there be one official in each of the playoff team stalls? And then when you get to twelve, should there be twelve? Should you know? Do, do does the importance of the playoffs? Um, force them to have more focus and more scrutiny. And and I guess the question is, is that fair? You know, if, if you should a playoff car get more scrutiny on a pit stop than a non-playoff car, they're both still racing for the race win. 
Yeah. You know, I, Bob, I, I, let me tell you how I explained this to a buddy of mine yesterday. <laughs> I said it's real simple. You have eight guys in in round one, okay, and each of them take two cars. And then you train other people and other series that does this mm-hmm. stuff for a living, and then you start training. And so you get another eight to handle the rest of the damn field, and then that way you've got people trained. you got eight people watching. I think it's ludicrous that you don't have somebody watching the playoff cars. I mean, it just makes complete sense to me if you're going to have cameras on these damn things to watch the playoff cars so you don't have something like this come up. Because if if Kyle Busch was to have won the race, God forbid, and they they missed a penalty, then you got the same thing that happened to the New Orleans Saints last year when they just completely blew the call and kept them out of – arguably kept them out of the Super Bowl. And I just think it – the onus on NASCAR to, to to make the calls right on the playoff teams, not necessarily call it harder, but to but to supplant the you know the the people the officials that they need to make that to make that thing work. That, that's just that's my opinion. My opinion well, only. And I'm, I mean, they they tech all the they tech all sixteen cars after the race last week, right? So why yeah, not have yeah, yeah. you know? So so that could be your answer to your argument. I'm just. I'm just disappointed myself that I didn't mention the Kyle Busch after the race last week that really NASCAR was nice to him. And although if that the fact that NASCAR missed the call actually put oh. him in position to be on the lead lap when he ran into the lap car. I, uh, Bob, you, know, you are a so. glutton for punishment, my friend. That would have been the most epic. Inter- I mean, it was already uh, uh, an epic interview there, but to, to add that would have been even to be even better. Bob, as we, as we travel through here, um, I picked Martin Truex Jr. to win Las Vegas. Some for some reason, I thought he was, and, and I don't like to say this because people think I'm 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 being literal here, but I feel like the 19 team was was sandbagging a little bit, and I, I don't mean like they had winning cars and they weren't winning with them, but I feel like I feel like the 19 was being awful quiet, almost quiet with a purpose here the last the last several weeks of the, of the season. And I just see, I just had a feeling like those guys were getting ready to come out and do some damage. Bob, it, Ryan Newman, by the way, is um, he's running a hell of a lot better than I expected him to, to be honest with you. He's, he's had a great race. He's still six points below the cutoff line. Um, what, what do you see any surprises coming up? Has anything surprised you, you know, do we have a, the possibility of an upset or something here coming in these last nine races? What do you think? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I would say that I was a little bit surprised at how strong Truex was, just because mm-hmm. they hadn't shown a ton, and I'm curious on how they were going to handle kind of being part of the, you know, yeah. not being a single car team. You know, right. that that whether they had the kind of nimbleness to uh to have what they wanted but uh, they certainly proved me wrong there i don't i don't really see i don't i don't see any upsets happening you know i don't um i, I think the the you know again as, as long as kyle bush doesn't beat himself you know i yeah. i think that they'll be i think that it's it's gonna be you know pretty typical cast of uh people who've been running out front are still gonna be running out front all right, I got one more topic. Then we we'll hit you with a few rapid fire questions. I'm gonna let okay. you go. I appreciate it, Bob. I told you ten minutes, and that was thirty minutes ago or something. But uh, Patricia Driscoll gets um, uh, finally gets sentenced, and she got one year and was it one year and one day? Mm-hmm. Um, I think of, of of prison time, which I'm not 100 percent sure on the law, but it used to be anything over a year could be reduced. 
um, to something, and maybe that's why it was done. But she also got three years um, um, probation, supervised release upon once she's done there. How, how do you interpret what, what the judge handed out there, Bob? Uh, well, uh, yeah, so in, in federal court, you have to serve like 85% of your sentence. But, but what the mm-hmm. federal judge ruled is that she can stay out pending appeal. Which gotcha. I found really interesting, which which obviously means that they don't feel that she's like a danger to society. Yeah. I think um you can read it as the the judge um the the, the judge was critical of the government um because uh what happened was is that at a custody hearing, um there was an IRS agent there and they and Patricia's people asked, who are you? And he just said, I'm here to observe. And he didn't identify himself as an IRS agent. Yep. She testified about her finances that, that helped uh, the case a little bit uh, against her. And yeah. the question was, is did he, did that IRS agent have a duty to, uh, to, to reveal who he was? I mean, she was on mm-hmm. the stand. She, she, you obviously know anything that you say on the stand is yeah. you can get a transcript of, right? So, yep. so there's a lot of debate on the appropriateness of that and what was the duty the judge was critical of the government for, but he didn't uh, toss out the testimony either. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think I read into it as the, the judge, um, the judge seeing that and knowing that there's a, uh, potential question of, of fairness and uh and decide you know he's going to let uh let the appeals process take its uh take its course well that's typical of of um many judges who don't have the balls just to make a damn decision they'll <laughs> go ahead and judge on it do blah 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 and then let a lower let an appeals court uh determine the outcome which i think is a chicken shit way to be on the bench if you're either going to be a judge or you're not going to be a judge but but this but I digress. Um, she definitely 100 um, uh, percent frauded uh, the United States with with the way she stole money from mm-hmm. her from her charity. Um, do you get do you get the sense that I mean, honestly, though, let, let's be honest here. I know why you covered it. But does anybody in NASCAR other than, um, you know, drivers and their <laughs> significant others, whatever. Does anybody in NASCAR really give a shit at this point? Well, I mean, I think they do because there are a couple of NASCAR members who are on the board of that of, of her foundation for mm-hmm. a few years, and yeah. uh, I think they probably care. Um, and uh, you know, I think it. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think it's top of mind for many, um, but I do think that they that they care because they certainly um, you know spent time working with her and um in her and her charity. And then there's also the um you know, the the whole uh I mean I think they, they want they want to see what what happens. Um, you yeah. know, and, and 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 see uh you know, because you know obviously NASCAR made a decision on the uh on the They told a five hundred for Pete's right, sake. <laughs> Right, right. They made a decision based on a civil court ruling, and uh, and you know, and which you know is you know what literally right. It's 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 her word against uh, yeah. Kurt's word, and so the question is, you know, if she obviously the jury felt like that she committed fraud, which then mm-hmm. hurts, you know, which yeah. then calls into question. Not saying it's everything else. Um, and, yeah. Yes. 
it, it calls into question about her honesty and other things. Not saying yeah. that she wasn't, but it mm-hmm. certainly creates um, creates some doubt. So I think there's well, certainly, there's certainly some monitoring it. Let, let me say this: the reason why I asked that question is it seemed like nobody in in NASCAR really wanted, and I don't mean you, like like NASCAR brass or whatever. They didn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole because I believe NASCAR absolutely, positively, 100% did an injustice to Kurt Busch because it was a um, he said, she said type of thing. And instead of, I mean, in a civil matter for Pete's sake, which, you know, needs a preponderance of the evidence, which has absolutely nothing to do with guilt or innocence for for Pete's sake. Now, knowing what we know now, because you just said, you know, the fact that she lied and stole and purposely misled um, um, multitudes of people. NASCAR, one of them uh, entities, one of those entities. Do, do you do you feel like that NASCAR may look upon future civil matters differently, or do you think they're going to take it by a case by case basis, or do you don't think it had any effect on them whatsoever? Uh, it may have a little bit of effect, but I don't think it will because. Uh, a lot of NASCAR's wording in its rule books, and especially on certain things, is about preponderance of the evidence as well, mm-hmm. and not necessarily beyond a reasonable doubt for a lot of the decision, disciplinary decisions that they can make. So mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think if uh, if the same thing, same ruling came down, um, you know, this week, I think that I think their uh, their decision would have been would be the same. Okay. Well, at least uh, at least you think they'll be consistent on that. All right. So let's do um, <laughs> let's do some uh, some rapid fire real quick. Um, All right. Does Kevin Harvick have more than three years left driving? Um, a passenger car, yes. A race car, no. Okay. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Does Jimmy Johnson have more than three years driving in NASCAR? Um. Uh, I, no, unless you count IMSA as still. I mean, NASCAR owns IMSA, and I could still yeah. see him doing in a road racing series in three or four years. Okay, I, I could too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it okay. cup. You see Jimmy okay. Johnson in the cup car in three years? No. Okay. No. Um, do you see um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in a cup car in three years? Yes. Damn. Okay, I, I'm very shocked by that. I think he's absolutely <laughs> terrible and costs everybody a lot of money. But um, okay, that's I'm surprised by that. Do you see Matt De Benedetto in a Cup car in three years? Uh, yes. Do you see Kyle Larson in a Cup car in three years? Yes. Do you see um, the charter system going away? in the next three years? Uh, well, the renewal is, they have to negotiate a renewal um, effective at the end of 2020. Those negotiations likely to start um, in the next couple of months. I say it will not go away, that it'll be renewed for one more four years. They will renew for one more four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. TV revenue on the next contract is 2021, or I'm sorry, um, when is it, Bob, next, the renewal uh, on the 2025. Contract? 2025, I'm sorry. In 2025, will NASCAR get an increase in TV revenue or a decrease in TV revenue? Uh, great question. I have no insight from my uh, work with my people at uh-huh. Fox on that. But if you include streaming rights, 
mm-hmm. um, and all digital rights, yes. I think they will get an increase. Okay, well, that's good to know because I, I, I'm, I've been very concerned about that because I'm not sure. I mean, I, I see. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, I will say potentially an increase per race. But now if they go down, if they decide to go to yeah. 30 races, I would say the overall Obviously. would probably be less. Okay, fair enough. Understood. Um, I see attendance uh, attendance coming back and that sort of thing, which leads me into my my next thing. Do you think we will ever see two hundred thousand people at Texas Motor Speedway to watch a Cup race ever again? Uh, no. Um, is that a bad thing? Um, I don't know whether I would classify it as bad, but it, I would say it's not uh, it's not great. All right, well, let me ask you this. Is it indicative – is it indicative – well, I don't know how to answer this question. In my opinion, Bob, I don't think that having 200,000 people at a racetrack in this digital age – I mean, before – I mean, Ted Turner owned all of NASCAR's rights for everything for years, and then now that NASCAR's had them, they've only had them for, what, seven, eight years now or something maybe, Bob? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think so, so you're, gonna, you're asking me if it's critical. I would say yes. no, but – I, I do not want to disvalue the fact of that this the sport relies on people having an emotional connection to the drivers and potentially to the vehicles. And if if being here increases that, if there's a way to do that, then then it has. But if you're asking me if it's critical, if it's something that um, that absolutely has to happen, I'd say no. Is uh, Ford, Chevy, and Toyota all in the sport? in the next five years? Yes. Is there new manufacturer in five years? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I'm a maybe on that. I'm not convinced there will be. Is there, uh, in, in the next five years, will we see electric motors? You'll see electric, electrification in the, the, mo- the motors won't be solely electric, but there will be an electric, uh, component to allow them to reuse energy um, to potentially almost like a push to pass system in the sense of giving uh, giving the cars a little extra boost beyond the 550 horsepower. So it's going to be a, a, some sort of a hybrid system, you believe? Yes. Well, yeah, I, I don't know whether hybrid would be the absolute proper term but yeah i believe that there will be some sort of when you're able when you're under yellow they can mm-hmm. be able to run on the you know that you're going yeah. to be running on a battery and then yeah. you're going to be able to use that energy um to conserve in some way you know when you come when you come back to green okay um bob progress i can't thank you enough for your time you've been on here a hell of a lot longer than um either one of us have anticipated i i do have to who did you pick to win the championship at uh, this year at Homestead? I picked Harvick. You picked Harvick. You still good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Well, I am too because I picked <laughs> I picked Harvick to make the final four, and I think he's got a good chance as anybody. Um, Bob, before I let you go, you have anything for the uh, for the good of the community or anything any projects you're working on uh, besides um, besides what you do on a on a daily basis? What you got coming up? Anything exciting? Uh, no, nothing uh, too uh, too crazy. Uh, hopefully, uh, you all saw my the Clint Boyer asking me questions to kind of turning the tables on one of the Fox pre race shows. We may have a couple of more of those uh, in the can, not with Clint, but uh, 
with some drivers to be named later. Well, let me tell you something, Bob Pockers. There, I get the biggest kick I, I have ever – and people just don't understand how, how awesome Bob Pockers is out in the wild. But when you see Bob Pockers interacting with, with regular humans, it is one of the most amazing things I have ever witnessed <laughs> in my entire life, except the only thing I can even top it is, is somebody asking you questions, which is a fantastic thing. I, I mean, it, you, the drivers, at, it was absolute gold. It was 100% fantastic. I, I loved every bit of it. Bob, I appreciate your time. appreciate your um, uh, dropping some knowledge bombs on us very much. And who you got this weekend over in um, uh, in Richmond? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. You know what? I am – can I go for the upset and pick Clint Boyer? Damn it. That's who I'm going to – Billy Bradley doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to pick Billy – I'm going to pick uh, Kevin Harvick to win and Clint Boyer as my dark horse because I think Clint right. Boyer absolutely can win this race. All right. Well, then there, there you go. Well, All right, Bob Progress, I agree that you are now a smart man because you think Clint Boyer, just like me, you think Clint Boyer is going to do good at Richmond. Bob, appreciate it. Be safe out there, bud, and talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Dino. Bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you participate with us. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or Google Play and visit our website, sloppyyellow.com, where you'll find information on being a Patreon and helping our charity, weareyoumatter.com. All right, Rob Lopes, we've listened to Bob Pockers there drop a bunch of different knowledge bombs on us about the State of the Union, so to speak, of NASCAR and that sort of thing. But let's let's break it down here. You guys had a very wild Las Vegas weekend, and you guys came out of it. I, I mean, this is why the playoffs are so important. You guys come – you finish, what, 10th? You all finish 10th, right? 10th. 10th, finish 10th. And you're you're outside looking in after that hellacious hellacious beginning to this to this thing here, but it was extremely hot. The cars, I, I have to imagine that with the, the temperature drop off up there, that the it, it's difficult to get the setup. But all in all, you guys had a pretty damn good weekend com- compared to <laughs> a bunch of other teams out there. But how did qualifying go for you guys, and and what what big changes did you guys make during the race? Well, qualifying went about normal for us, um, and uh, it was it was just our normal deal. But that the temperature was a big a big hitter. I mean, we were over 100 degrees for two days, and then by the time we went racing, it had cooled off. And the, when the sun was going down, it cooled you know it cooled off pretty quick because you're out there in the desert. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we finished tenth. It was a good day for us, but just. <laughs> It's really hard for me to describe the guys that are behind us in the points right now all had bad days. So that tells you something how competitive this playoff field is. Yeah, that's what. And and we are still outside looking in, and the guys behind us had bad days. So that's going to tell, that should tell you what it's like running in these playoff races. It's absolutely crazy, Rob. You guys run such a good race. And 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 a, and a very well deserved top ten finish. And if this is any other race in the first twenty six, uh, the six teams headed back to the East Coast um, with their chest pumped out, and, and and you guys still are. But but you have that phenomenal of a of a of a race, uh, get a top ten at a very difficult track to run under these conditions. 
and still come out looking behind. This is absolute. This is why I say, and I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but Jimmy Johnson to be able to win in, in, in playoff formats, not based on points like it was, you know, all time. It just shows you how how damn good he is. But really, the level of competition here in NASCAR, you have to be on the pedal. You have to be up on the chip, racing. Every position counts in this damn thing, Rob Lobes. You guys finished 10th, are six points out right now. And it's just, it, the pressure never does. Uh, it, from, from the interliner gang to now, the pressure just never yeah. goes away, does it? No, no. And, you know, now that we're in the playoff format and, and we've been in it for a few years, now your season is a bit shorter. Yeah. Your your ten race is short as far as your quote unquote season goes because you're either in or you're out if you want to yeah. run for the championship. And all we want is a chance. And we have that chance and we're gonna make the best of it. And we're here we're here in Richmond this week. Uh kind of a short track, three quarter of a mile. So we'll call it a short track. Um there's a lot that's gonna happen here. Things are gonna ramp up. Martin Truex ran a great race. He was very dominant, had a great car. Uh, there's some guys that had some issues, um, and I think you're going to see more of the same. You're going to see guys that you hit the nail on the head. You're going to see guys on the wheel every lap. No ifs, ands, or buts. you yeah, got to perform. You have to because we're going to attract it. Kyle Busch, I mean, okay, we, we've talked about Kyle Busch and how, how crazy he, he was afterwards, and I, I do have a question about one thing you said, but – but he had a great to, car. Oh, my God. Did he ever have a great car? He was and passing. He drove, and he drove a hell of a race. I looked up at the scoring monitor. And I'm like, how is the 18 a lap down already? <laughs> and he battled back and drove past us. Yeah. And I'm like, this son of a gun's going to win the race. Yeah. And he, he got caught up with that 52 there. And it was a shame because his car went away after that. All it takes yeah. is a little damage. And, his, and the car went away. Yeah, and and he absolutely had a rocket ship and was was going to the front. Um, Rob, let me ask you from a professional standpoint. You see what the fifty two guys are doing. Um, have you ever been a part of a situation where you were out there uh, running on last week's tires or whatever, just to kind of the kind of fund the team? Have you ever been a part of that situation, Rob? Not not any time recently, but mm-hmm. I will say at the beginning of my career, that's where I started. I started in the Bush yeah. series. And then went to some what people might call backmarkers or low budget teams and worked my way up from there. So I've been part of that. I know what it's like. You're out there trying to make laps. You're out there trying to build good race cars. You're out there, you know, you're you're working and you're you're cutting your teeth as far as a, a mechanic or a fabricator goes, you know. And you you don't have the budgets that the big teams have. And you're just out there. You're out there racing your race. You're not you're not there to run with Penske or Gibbs or yeah. or SHR or something like that. You're out there to run your race. It's a race with. It's another race within a race. And you know you have to have those teams. You know not everybody. Not everybody's going to be the 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 New York Yankees or or the New England Patriots or or what have you. You know not everybody's going to be there. So you know and and it's you know they're out there doing their you know they're out there working their tails off. You know they're getting guys experience in the seat. Hopefully they move up. You know to show their stuff. And it's just you know it, it it was a it was a situation that happened and it was very unfortunate for the 18 and for Kyle. No doubt, and and everybody hated to see it, especially the 52. But I'll I'll say this, Rob Lopes, when 
when I when I became a fan of NASCAR, it, it, there was many many field uh, fillers, so to speak, on the racetrack. Um, today you had a bigger we field have too. You had, yeah, a you had a bigger field, and you had more of them today. In, in 2019, um, we don't have very many field fillers compared to the rest of the field. Um, we don't that's win correct. races by you know, we're not winning races by two laps. I mean, and that's happened back in the day. Winning races by uh, you know more than one lap was a thing that happened on a fairly common occurrence. Uh, but, yeah, but when, certainly, when things first started getting televised, yeah, exactly. You you know, you, you go back and look through the history books, you're exactly right. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. And long I'll time. see it again. Probably not. And, and this is all to say, what the 52 was doing, in my opinion, was, I mean, it was worst-case scenario. It was a perfect storm of stuff. You had uh, three fast cars coming up on them. One went low. One went high. Kyle Busch happened to try to go into the middle. He couldn't turn, and he ends up running into him. I don't think the 52, first of all, he didn't have any place to go. But it, it happened, and it sucks. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, that's that's a part of NASCAR, and it, and it absolutely shouldn't be. The only thing I don't, I don't know, Rob, is I don't know what the minimum speed was because here is something I did see, um, or maybe we need to look at this, but Kyle Busch was running about 175 when he came up on him. And the 52 was running about 157. I mean, that's 20 miles an hour difference, which is a a pretty big difference. In I mean, I gotta imagine that maybe we need to look at the the. I mean, he was 12 laps down or something. He's running, you know, mm-hmm. 25 miles an hour, you know, slower. At some point, we gotta make damn sure that that we have a minimum speed. But as long as we have a minimum speed, Rob. I don't see why it's such a big problem other than the fact that what happened was a chase car and a and a driver that was uh, obviously has a chance to win a championship. But in your opinion, if he's making minimum speed, is there anything else that needs to happen here? No, I don't, I don't really know what you can do to fix that. He Obviously, he was making minimum speed or otherwise NASCAR to black flag them. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it was a perfect storm that he was chasing down the 24 – you can't see through these cars. Yeah. And at 24, pulled to the bottom. Uh, I'm sure the 18th spotter was saying, you know, 52 slow at the top. He's been running the top yeah. or something to that effect. And he didn't go all the way to the wall. And when at 24 mm-hmm. ducked down, the closing rate, like you said, when, the, when there's such a speed difference, the closing rate is unbelievable. Yeah. And he was – I watched that replay, and I've watched Kyle's interviews. And he was on the binders because you yep. saw the nose of that car dip. Mm-hmm. And it was all he could do to get stopped. And, I mean, he still punched him pretty hard with the nose of that car. And that created enough of an, of an issue for Kyle and the 18 team that, that it just killed their night. It killed their night. Yeah. And it, it absolutely did. And you mentioned the arrow and that, that, that Kyle Bush was on his way to get up front and that sort of thing. So, um, I appreciate your, your take and, and that sort of thing on the 52. But the other thing Kyle said after his interview there in, um, in Vegas was that, you know, he wasn't looking forward to going to Richmond because he can't pass. And Rob Lopes, it seems like, you know, since old Dale Jr. got spun by Kyle Busch in 2007 or whenever it was there, ever since, and I, I can't say that the racing in Richmond has been – 
full of passing or tons of excitement or that sort of thing, but it has turned into a race where you can't afford to make one mistake because if you make a mistake, you're, 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 you may not catch up with it because the track is yeah. hard to pass there. It's it's extre- it's a very technical racetrack, and and you and if you make a mistake there on pit road, getting on and off, or or do what happened to Kyle Busch, it's a tough race to come back from. And this adds yeah. a completely different element of what we saw last week. Track position and 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 qualifying is going to be important. You guys finished, I believe, with a top ten um, in the spring race here. But talk to me about I believe you know, you're right. The game plan is here for for Richmond. You got to get up on it and get it quick, don't you? Yes, um, we we are looking at it like okay, we need to come here. We need to minimize. We need to minimize our, our mistakes or no mistakes. And I think that's going to be the key. You got to in these first three playoff races, you got to minimize your mistakes, and that's driver, pit crew, road crew, mechanics, everybody. You don't have, you don't need parts falling off the car. You don't need bad stops. Okay, you know, you need consistent stops. You need to be mistake-free. Don't – no speeding penalties. Don't, you know, don't leave the wedge wrench in the back window, stuff like that, because that will yeah. kill your night. Track yeah. resistance is going to be huge because passing is so tough to do here. Yeah. Um, Rob, you it, mentioned – Richmond, to me, Richmond is a short track with a big track feel. Yeah. You know, you're not you're – not, knows the tail all the time. It's not Bristol. It's not Martinsville. You know, you can get stretched out there, and but it, you, you still have to drive it like a short track. You still got to, you know, you got to maintain your brakes. You know, you don't have the drag ducts here. You don't, you're a full horsepower, no drag ducts. So you're going to be on the brakes, and you get those rotors glowing, and it changes your race car. So I've always you, know, you got to be on top of it. I've always thought Richmond kind of raced like a mile and a half. Um, for like for like strategy almost because the cars, you know, it's not a, it's not a typical short track where you're bumper to bumper, right. you know, that sort of thing. But but it it, ha- it it is it is weird. It's it's got a it's a short track with kind of a bigger track feel to it. And you got um, it's it's just a the, the thing the reason why I like Richmond being where it is is because everybody now is so pumped. I mean, it's almost like the pressure is ramped. This should be an easy race to go to, but the pressure is ramped because everybody knows if you make one mistake, you're in, in deep trouble. And I want to go back to Vegas real quick. The 18 sure. team got away with a penalty, what should have been a penalty. And I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Rob, but um, they threw a, um, I think it was a wrench, from one side of the car to, to get it to the pit wall, and it landed on the deck lid. The fuel man picked it up and handed it to somebody else, and it was supposed to be a penalty because he can't technically service the car or that sort of thing. Did you have have you seen that, or did you hear about that, Rob? You know, I haven't seen it nor heard about it. That's very interesting, especially with the way the rules are concerning your fuel man. Yes. Um, and. You know, I also heard something about a, a like the 22 team, like a tire got eight foot away from the guy, you know. And I had somebody yes. ask me, like, I thought there was, I thought there was uncontrolled tire roll, but that has changed. They've relaxed that because it doesn't have to be with arms length as long as it's within control. If it's headed to the wall, the guy catches it, that's fine. Yeah. If it bounces away, bounces out of your box, something like that, then it's an issue. 
Yeah, bro, they relaxed was, that. It was crazy on Twitter because most people forgot about that. Because <laughs> it, 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 I mean, let's put it this way: in March of this year, it would have been a penalty. Um, it hit Denny correct. Hamlin That's twice, correct. but they did relax it. That's correct. Yeah. And that, and that was a smart thing for him to do. As far as what happened with the 18 is at a wrench, I, I'm, I'm not sure where the rules fall as far as throwing. You're not supposed to be able to throw anything. I don't think. I think yeah. you're supposed to carry it back with you. You can throw it at the wall, whatever. Mm-hmm. Throw it on the ground. Yeah. Uh, throwing it across the car, I don't know what their stance is on that. But with it landing on the deck lid and the fuel man picking it up, as tight as they are about what your fuel man's doing, yeah. uh, it's hard saying where the call was there. Well, they came, they came out and they said that it was a missed penalty, that they should have they should have called it. And and so go back to your point. Yeah, NASCAR said it was a missed penalty. They should have had it. Go back to your point about not being able to make a mistake. And after a botching a call on Kyle Busch, who was – I mean, he's obviously a contender for the title. I have to imagine Absolutely. that they are going to be watching – penalties even tighter after they screwed up a, a pretty big what what NASCAR doesn't want is NASCAR doesn't want what happened to the New Orleans Saints last year right where an obvious oh, yeah. <laughs> kept them out of the Super Bowl basically so I got to believe that that the pit boxes uh, or the you know pit um, when they come down to pit it's going to be under it's going to be even more under a microscope at a place you can least afford it. I'm actually very excited to see what, what, what happens. And to be quite frank with you, Rob Wilkes, um, I, I would assume that it's business as usual in a six-team shop. But, hell, I can feel the pressure a little bit, dude, because you guys got, I mean, you guys ran a top-ten race, and, and, you're, and, now, and you're the first team out. And you're looking back, you need, you need back-to-back you know, good runs. And, hell, yeah. Rob, you guys have been running pretty damn good here as of late. You've had some solid runs. It seems like you guys got some momentum coming here at the right time. You all feeling pretty good about this? Yeah, we are. Um, we, we put together a brand-new race car for this week, and mm-hmm. uh, we're happy with it. We'll see what it does on the racetrack. Um, we've we've uh, just gone about our week the way we go about it. I mean, we're dotting our I's, crossing our T's. We know Ryan is going to give 110% in the seat because that's what he does. Um, Scott's great on the box. So we're just going to go about it, and we're going to say, okay, guys, this is what we got to do. You know, we need to have a solid night and let the chips fall where they may because the other thing you got to look at is you got to look ahead to next week, too. You're looking at the Roval, which is, you know, the second edition of the Roval, and it was wild, the first one. Yeah. So, you know, you can't you can't put your eggs in that basket and say, okay, you know, everything is going to be great because who knows what can happen there. And I'm going to go make probably, a – go ahead. Well, no, I mean, you just – you got to have a solid run in Richmond Saturday night and be ready for and be ready for the cutoff race that's as Crazy. big a wild card as any speedway race. Yeah, and I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say that a storyline coming out of <laughs> the race at Richmond is going to be how hard Ryan Newman was to pass on a track that's oh. notorious for being hard to pass on. That guy's going to be 35 feet wide coming down that hole. better believe it. <laughs> that, whole, that whole race, he's going to be – Ryan Newman's going to be three, four wide himself because there ain't nobody going to get around him with, 
with all these points that are on the line. And you're right, you know, nobody's – they've changed the Roval up, you know, from last year. You know, they changed – they had some issues with the chicane. So, we're, we're looking at not only a wild card, but nobody even has – it's going to be different for everybody. So, this race has got to be – Got to be buttoned up pretty good. Let's talk here about um, who you got in uh, for your winner in your dark horse. Now, Billy Bradley. Um, I, by the way, I, I picked the winner. Um, I picked Martin Truex Jr. He won. I, I had. Oh yeah, that's I, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you picked the winner. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't hear any gloating or anything. Well, me, the reason but... is is because yeah. I, honest to God, about. I knew Martin Truex Jr. had a strong car. He drove from the front, but I didn't think he had the fastest car, and he just kind of kind of fell in his lap the way we got there. And that's how tricky this thing is. I mean, Stuart Haas Racing goes out there and, and qualifies one through four, and, you know, three of their four cars don't do not do very well. Um, you know, it's just a it's just a crazy, crazy thing. But Billy sent me um, – Billy's down. Um, Billy sent me his picks here. He is taking Denny Hamlin for the win. And the son of a bitch took exactly who I wanted. He took Clint Boyer in a 14 as his dark horse. And, and Rob, two solid uh, choices. Those are two solid picks right there because wow. Clint Boyer can absolutely win this race. You know he's um, he's good short track guy. This is a good race for him. He usually qualifies pretty decent, so he gets up front. You know, it, I, Benny Hamlin, it's his home track. He, you know he wants to win there. So Billy Bradley is coming out swinging – He's swinging for the benches, Rob Lowe. Who are you yeah, going to take there, buddy? Wow, I'll tell you what. Um, I like I like Kevin Harvick as my favorite because they didn't have – they they fell a little short of what they wanted to do, and they've got momentum yeah. over there at Stuart Haas. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go ahead and take Kevin Harvick. And for my dark horse, I'm going to take Jimmy Johnson in the 48 Chevrolet because, and, you know, an outsider of the playoffs because he's due. I mean – can you go a year without Jimmy Johnson winning? No, man, dude. This is yeah. We went one last <laughs> year, and uh, I don't know that you can do two. But here's the thing about about Jimmy Johnson is in the spring, um, I think he finished. I think he, I think he finished seventh or eighth in the spring. Um, seventh or eighth in the spring, and I, it, I, he has been so relaxed. I, I oh, damn it, I was really that's a that's a great pick. Well, my heart tells me. Um, excuse me. My head tells me that Kyle Busch is going to come back and he's going to kick some ass. Um, yeah, up here at this track, I, I just you know he's pissed off. And you know, last week Billy and I both said we've said it a million times. You know, Kyle Busch is going to come out here and shit shit his pants in one of these races, and he did right off the bat. But he normally does come back with a vengeance. I I'm half tempted. Yeah, when to he pick sees Kyle red, Bush. he's tough to beat. And That's a good Dan, he's good there. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna go ahead and take him uh, because as honestly as it's <laughs> possible between there and Truex Jr. Because I really believe I really believe Truex can go back to back. I think JGR is gonna be tough there. Harvick is definitely um, definitely a good pick there. But I'm gonna do something I never thought I would absolutely do. I'm gonna take Austin Dillon in the three car. Yeah, and and Rob, I just you know since Bristol. That team has put together a bunch of pretty good runs for them. I mean, they're they're, they're hanging around the top ten there. They're you know they're averaging about twelfth place finish. He finished I think fifth or sixth in the spring up there, so he knows how this how this package works and that sort of thing. I think they've got you know they you know with the Tyler Reddick news coming over, um, there's been a lot of people 
you know, when when Daniel Hemrick loses his ride as a rookie to Tyler Reddick, another rookie coming in, that, it, a lot of people started taking note of of RCR and that and that shot they got over there. And I, something tells me that Austin Dillon um, is going to come out of there with um, uh, with, with, with some pretty good with a pretty good result. Now you said you put a new car on the racetrack this week for for the 16. Yes. Yes, we've uh, 16, 16 built a new car for this week, um, and we're going to see how she shakes out. I mean, we're pretty excited about it, and we're hoping for good things. Yeah, well, uh, uh, listen, I couldn't be more excited for you guys because this is, this is crunch time. This is what you guys look forward to all year long. And, and damn it, son, you're not on the sideline. You guys are playing the game. So that's um, – yeah. That's uh that's an amazing place to be and it's um uh it's a Saturday race yes Saturday race correct Saturday night you got Saturday it. night it's short so you guys are gonna get home and uh I feel like you're cheating a little bit with a little bit of extra time this weekend Rob I appreciate you being on thanks for your insight as always for Billy Bradley you for bet. Rob Lopes I'm Dado Rob have a good race up there at Richmond Bud we'll talk to you next week thank you brother talk to you soon see you bud. Thanks for listening to Off the Rails. Take a listen to Dado's new favorite song, Bougie by Mixpack. Can you just like chill for a second and stop being bougie all the dang time? Let's have some fun, all right? Let's go. Bottoms up. Drinks on me. Later on, after party my crib. Got this girl on my right shit. Why you gotta be so bougie? So bougie, bougie. Why you gotta be so bougie? So bougie, bougie. Gotta chill, need to relax. Not everywhere needs a VIP pass. Keep it up, you'll have no real friends left. Designer goals aren't gonna earn you respect. Just stop, you're being too loud. Your trash talk won't make your mama proud. Snap, snap, show your picture perfect, fake laugh. Back up, you ain't even in the limelight. Bottoms up, Drinks on me. Later on, after party my crib. But this girl on my right shit. Why you gotta be so bougie? So bougie, bougie. Why you gotta be so bougie? So bougie, bougie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Girl, you gotta chill. Why you so damn thirsty? Oh, he got a rollie. Now you so damn basic. Man, I ain't saying you a gold digger. But what you doing at SLS when you stay at Azusa? It's okay, not my biz, so I'm gonna walk away. Got better shit to do than to entertain you. Said she want the Fendi swimsuit with the Fendi shoes. Then she looked at me, I said, you picked the wrong dude. I'm out. Bottoms up. Drinks on me. Later on, after party my crib. But this girl on my right shit. Why you gotta be so bougie?